This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Catch that. Yes, they do. England win the second test match for the first time since 1956-57 under Peter May. England win in Cape Town. Well, it's the most glorious advert for the five-day game. Well, that's how Sky Sports relayed the glorious winning moment, England winning a first Cape Town Test match since the 1950s. A fantastic effort, a five-day game going right to the wire, and uh, that'll throw up lots of fascinating talking points with the four-day, five-day cricket debate uh, really simmering at the moment. Also worth saying, by the way, that it sends England, temporarily at least, up to third spot in the World Test Championship, because 30 points for that win, jumps them from 56 points to 86 points, leapfrogging New Zealand, Sri Lanka and Pakistan to third place uh, just behind Australia and India. I say just behind Australia and India. is about 200 <laughs> points behind both of them. But anyway, so it's a warm welcome to the analyst inside cricket and uh, triumph for England, Simon. Well, a victory at last overseas. Disappointing winter so far, defeat in New Zealand, defeat in the first test in Centurion. I actually expected England to win after the first couple of days, really. It took them an awfully long time to force that victory in the end, into the last hour, into the last half an hour. But Ben Stokes, absolutely magnificent. We talked last week about the quality of this England side and how good it was compared to sides of recent years and how far you'd have to go back to find a side that was probably as, as weak as this for England. They've had a very good last two decades. But of course, what they do have is they have one of the world's great players. They have Ben Stokes in their side and he had a magnificent all-round match. And he just grabbed the game, didn't he, by the scruff of the neck in that last couple of hours and just kept on bowling and kept on finding the outside edge. Actually, his contribution was amazing, really, with, with two quite important innings. The first innings sort of cut off in its prime with a, a slightly loose shot. Then a string of excellent slip catches 
And then that really pulsating second inning 70-odd of about 47 balls, which gave England the crucial time to, to win the match today. And then, of course, those three uh, crucial wickets at the end. So he really had a, a fantastic all-round contribution. We're going to look at, by the way, uh, your some of your emails and discussion points regarding the four-day, five-day test debate a little bit later in the programme, but we should just first review uh, England's tremendous performance in Cape Town overall, which started with me, and I know you're going to wind me up about this, but it started with me saying, like you, it's one of the weakest England sides that's ever taken the field in the last couple of decades. They're probably going to go on and win now, and they have. Yeah, well, well, exactly. I mean, yeah, sod's law, isn't it? Having said that, uh, I think the point is, I'm, I'm not. I don't think we were saying that this is a, you know, an awful England side. I just think England had a very strong Test side, and it started to gather pace from '99 onwards under Duncan Fletcher. That axis, Duncan Fletcher and Nasser Hussein, they galvanised England's Test side, and then it culminated in you know, many successful years. And I don't think anyone can argue that the team has taken a real dip in the last you know, three or four years. They were they were hammered in Australia. They've been hammered in India. They've had a lot of disappointing results, and it it feels at the moment this is a you know a low ebb. But as happened in the 1990s when England had the, you know they had good moments and bad moments, they had a relatively speaking quite a weak team. They did have these amazing highs and incredible victories. For example, when they beat West Indies in Barbados, when they beat uh, West Indies in the first test of the 1990 series, they did have these amazing highs. So what they've got to make sure is it's not just you know one test victory, one isolated test victory. They have to find that consistency. And I think they're a better side than South Africa. I, I do. I, I think this is quite a poor South African side. And then the challenge, of course, is to go to Sri Lanka and, and try and win there again. So I don't think anyone's saying this you know, is, a, is a terrible England side. It's got some very good players. I think the, the problem has been is that you know, those very good players haven't amounted to a great team because there are lots of holes in the team. You know, For example, a quality spinner, top-order batsman, that sort of thing. So great win for England. Um, but I, as Nasser Hussain said uh, on Sky at the end of the match, he said... It's important not to get too high when England win or too low when they lose uh, because you know, this is only one victory. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, it just goes back to what I said last week in a way about preparation and losing the first test of a series consistently. England just didn't really quite get the preparation right. I think also instability in the team, constantly chopping and changing players, top-order players, wicket-keepers, spinners, etc. It doesn't help the, the consistency and the stability of the side. But given that, getting that sort of awful performance at Centurion out of the way some of the stars in the team were able to shine a bit more brightly in this game. And, of course, they, they also had the benefit of someone who was prepared to drop anchor and just bat for over eight hours, Dom Sibley in England's second innings, which they haven't really had properly, obviously since the retirement of, of Alistair Cook and even sort of almost since the retirement of someone like Jonathan Trott as well. People who just don't care how they look, they just stay in and and grind out runs, and it's a foundation for the other players to play around. It's that rock around which the others can flourish. Well, Sibley did 
what he was brought in the side to do. It's, it's taken him a little bit of time to adjust to Test match cricket. He's very leg side. I, then so is Steve Smith as well. I mean, it's about finding a way, isn't it? And he, he clearly has got that that mental strength and that determination to to bat for a long time. And so you know, the first step taken by. Dominic Sibley, quite a big step as well. Great for his confidence. It was interesting to see Ben Stokes at the end there saying, trying to drag Sibley up to get the Man of the Match award, saying, no, he, he deserves the Man of the Match. And, and Sibley was magnificent, there's no doubt about it. He, 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 in a way, he set up England's victory, but Stokes' all-round performance probably deserved the Man of the Match award. I mean, it's a fairly arbitrary thing anyway, but, you know, well, well done, Dominic Sibley. I mean, there, there have been sort of signs that he's capable of doing that in his, his Test career so far. It's, it's, but it's, it's about, you know... The key is turning those signs into something substantial, and he managed to do it in this game. And yeah, and and you you talk about substantial. It, it is uh, about getting over that hurdle of making a Test hundred, which obviously Rory Burns has done. Uh, Joe Denley hasn't yet done, and there's no doubt from talking to all the players who've played a long time in Test cricket, even the ones that have made thousands of runs, they said that they never felt part of it. They never felt they totally belonged. They never felt, you know, totally confident until they got that big hundred under their belt that proved to themselves that they could perform at this level. And that's what Sibley has done. I mean, I, I still think he does look fallible outside off stump, but, you know, many great players do. And just to get that first hundred under your belt will just be a huge lift to him and actually players in the team will will enjoy it as well not just for for his sake but because they see someone there who's prepared to get stuck in wonderful for bowlers because they know that that someone like that won't give his wicket away and they can put their feet up that bit longer hopefully yeah, I'm great. Great for the number three, great for the number four, and the number five batsmen as well. You, you, and definitely for the bowlers. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that idea of you feel much better about yourself. You feel more secure on the side, more confident when you get that first hundred. And Joe Denley hasn't. Jonathan Trott was, as I think I mentioned last week, talking about how he, how he only felt confident in the side after making his fourth hundred. And I was it's interesting as well. That just triggered a, a memory from the the warm up games in New Zealand where Zach Crawley made 100 in one of the warm-up games and I spoke to him afterwards and he said and it was amazing to get 100 because I, I joined in on this tour thinking am, am I good enough you know do I deserve to be part of this you know I look at, I look around and see all the talent there I presume he was thinking of players like Joe Root and and Ben Stokes do I deserve to be a part of this and it just shows you that when you come into a side you know we all think oh well he's you know he's been picked to play for England he must be good enough to play for England but you've got to have that belief as well that you're part of it and, and it does take a bit of time other pluses from the game, Jimmy Anderson, remarkable, his 28th five-wicket haul in a test match, going past Ian Botham with that tally, is uh, completely confounded my predictions, which isn't the first time, obviously, but uh, it, I did say, and I don't mind admitting this, I did say when he was struggling to come back from that calf injury, maybe he should retire from international cricket because I can only see these kind of things getting worse and I don't want to see Jimmy Anderson bowling 72 miles an hour with the keeper stood up. But he did defy age and injuries in this match, certainly in the first innings with that five-wicket haul. He asked some questions in the second innings as well with a clever use of reverse swing and he was still bowling at that decent lick, sort of 83 miles an hour, which is incredible at his age. But there is, I suppose, a slight blot on that because 
he didn't he didn't look too good with the second new ball and only bowled one over. So there may be a, an injury cloud over him now. Yeah, as we speak, we don't know about Jimmy Anderson. Presumably, he'll go off for a scan. Is a bit concerning, I think. Yeah, that it's that point, isn't it? As you get older, you pick up injuries. He's bowled so many overs over the years. It'll be a huge shame if he is really set back by injuries as time goes on. He's, he's such a wonderful bowler to watch. He's, he's just great fun. Just sitting and watching him exercise his skill. His match figures are incredible. Seven for 63. You talk about the performances of Sibley and Stokes. I mean, Anderson helped bowl England back into the game in that second inning because they'd rather frittered away their first innings advantage. You know, the advantage of winning the toss. South Africa won 40 for three in reply. And Anderson bowled them back into the match. And... They're still relying on Jimmy Anderson to do that sort of thing. And you're, what you are looking at as time goes on inevitably are, you know, where are the younger bowlers to come in and replace the likes of Jimmy Anderson? And well, how do you replace him is, is the first point. The second point is I'm not sure necessarily the, the bowlers are there uh, with the potential to, to go on and even have half a successful career as, as Anderson. So that's going to be the challenge for England. One other challenge for them as well, uh, which I foresee, and well, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, this is is in the spinning department. Don Best playing in this match, holding an end. Uh, two, over, two wickets in 60 overs. England got to go to Sri Lanka. They've got India uh, next winter. You know, th- those are areas of, of concern. And the former coach, Trevor Bayliss, was talking on the Cricket Social on the BBC uh, about a week or so ago, saying exactly the same thing. You know, that, that's one area where England have really got to find some quality, but it, it, it's not easy with the way the, the county game is set up. Well, I think they have got quality. They've got Moen Ali, who just at the moment doesn't feel uh, he belongs in Test cricket, Has uh, just wants to, a, a little break from it. But, I mean, I still think he's a good bowler. And actually, I think I saw some signs of improvement from Bess in this game compared to his first Test outings a couple of years ago. I thought he had better control. Uh, I thought he got some nice drift on the ball uh, into the left-handers and away from the right-handers. So you're challenging both the outside and the inside edge of the bat. Uh, uh, and generally, I thought he asked, you know, some questions of the batsman. He was able to pitch the ball outside the off stump to the right-handers and landed in the rough and fairly consistently to the left-handers. I thought overall he bowled a bit too full so that it was slightly too easy to, to, to prod him away towards the end of the game. He wasn't quite hitting that awkward length. But his line and, and his general sort of shape of his bowling, I think, is quite encouraging. Does he turn the ball enough, I suppose? That would be the other thing. But maybe that will come with a bit more confidence, a bit more rhythm and a bit, a bit more of a feel for being part of the team. Yeah, my concern would be that he's still very young. He's still learning his craft. He's almost learning his craft at test match level. I mean, that can happen. It can happen to batsmen as well. I, I, I don't see him necessarily bowling Sri Lanka out. I, don't, I certainly don't see him bowling India out uh, next winter, but we'll, we'll wait and see on that. So I, I still think it's an area of, of concern. He's a, good, he's a talented young cricketer. He's a good, good young cricketer with a good attitude, uh, but I still think that is an area, a problem area for England. Well done to Ollie Pope, too, for his contribution, particularly in England's first inning, 61 not out, batting very smartly with the tail, showing fluency, showing agility, showing a, a smart awareness of match situations as well as a good technique I've really enjoyed his contribution I think he's one that the selectors were absolutely right to back yeah some talented young cricketers in that England lineup but young that's the point if you're inexperienced you know just take a while to really develop in test match cricket one thing I would say as I mentioned it earlier what do you think about the quality of this 
South African side. I mean, they, they've got some clearly got some good cricketers. They've got a, a decent bowling attack. What about that that batting lineup though? Yeah, uh, it, it looks vulnerable, and we did say that at the end of the first test that there's still scope for getting stuck into those those top order batsmen who don't have an awful lot of test pedigree. Dean Elgar is very combative and, and difficult to get out, and in fact he gave his wicket away in the first innings for 88, played well. I quite like the look of Peter Milan, actually, and he's someone who's got lots of first-class experience. He scored 32 first-class hundreds in a 10-year career, made a, a very dogged and composed 84 in South Africa's second inning. So, actually, I think their opening partnership is pretty good. But I don't rate Hamza at number three. And Faf du Plessis looks seriously under pressure uh, at number four because of the fact that, the you know, the top order are not that secure and then van der dusen at, at number five i think is a, a decent player but obviously still very inexperienced at test level so there is definitely scope there for for england's bowlers still with quinton de Kock coming in at six so what about the rest of the series and england have a break now uh, basically they have a holiday they have a few days off, which they've deserved, actually, because it's been pretty relentless when you consider they played back-to-back test matches in New Zealand, home for about a week, then off to South Africa, warm-up games, all that illness, Boxing Day test match, New Year's test match. They have a gap now. And then it's Port Elizabeth, the third game, and the Wanderers for the deciding match. The Wanderers pitch is uh, normally fast and bouncy. Uh, that'd be fascinating to see. That, that might be uh, quite a quick game. It was there last time. PE completely different normally it's it's normally slow and low there and, and quite hard working for the bowlers and it can be a bit hard working for the batsmen as well um do you think England are favourites to win the series now? Do you, do you see it that way now they've got back in the series? No, I think it's hard to call. I think, it, In fact, I think you said at the start it could be two all, and I still think that as well. I, I don't think there's much to choose between the teams. The South African attack is, is pretty good. I, I think Nokia is an excellent addition to their team and bowls the fastest balls on either side. He could be nullified by Archer if he comes back, and the, the obvious thing for England to do will be to replace Andrew Anderson with Archer for the next test, assuming Anderson's probably a little bit dicky and Archer's recovered his fitness. So that will give England a bit more strike force uh, and hopefully Archer can get his rhythm back that he seems to have just sort of slightly mislaid over a a lot of overs bowled in New Zealand and some in the first test here. Uh, So I I don't see England being the obvious favourites, but I don't see South Africa either. and I think it, it could easily be two all. Joe Root's captaincy has been under the spotlight. I mean, no one questions his ability with the bat. His captaincy has been under the spotlight, unimaginative, and you know, just not seeing things being a bit behind the game. How do you think he handled the pressure of England being in a winning position and then trying to force victory on that final day, having to make lots of changes, trying to work without Anderson, uh, trying to keep Stokes going, spinners that are probably not of the highest class, but that on a pitch that was offering some helped the spinners. How, how do you feel he went on that final day? I think he did really well. Uh, I think it, it, I liked that afternoon session when he rotated the spinners, gave Denley a few overs, gave himself a few, uh, used Stokes as a sort of battering ram round the wicket in various spells. And, uh, you know, I suppose uh, in a way that the crowning glory of, of his day was posting that leg slip to Broad and then van der Dusen obligingly clipping it straight to the man next ball. 
It was Stuart Broad, yeah. Root said Root actually said he had nothing to do with it. So uh, that's quite magnanimous actually from the captain because you you could take a you know some of the plaudits for that. But he said it was it was Broad's idea, and I think Broad actually said I didn't mean to bowl it there. It was just one of those things. I think it was, wasn't it? Um, he, he said I just got it wrong, and he, Van der Dusen amazing just clipped it straight to Anderson at, at leg slip and England were on their way I think once that wicket fell you just sensed that things were turning England's way well what a wonderful victory and what a wonderful place to be able to celebrate a victory Cape Town surrounded by about 10,000 Barmy Army fans one other thing Yoles as well talking about England winning away everyone said afterwards well it was like playing at home so have they really won away or they just won at home again Well, the Cape Town test lasted five days, which is going to encourage a lot of noise from all those people, those proponents of five-day test cricket. I've just added up the overs, actually, that they played in the match, and it went to 427. And if you played four-day tests with 98 overs, that would be 392. So there's actually 35 overs more played in this Cape Town test match than you'd get in the total of a four-day test, which encourages people to say, well, of course, every test match should be five days. But you've just been watching Australia against New Zealand for three tests. <laughs> well, that, that's, the, that's the thing, Simon. Actually, the Australian-New Zealand series was a very good ad, but for four-day test match cricket, it was, it was not a thing of beauty, I have to say. It was, it was hard work. Australia steamrolled New Zealand. And on three occasions, they could have enforced the follow-on. On three occasions, because they had all that time, they didn't. And they just rattled up a huge score and then put pressure on New Zealand in the final inning. So, you know, the games could have actually ended much quicker than four days. So, you know, you've got Cape Town, five days, brilliant cricket, and it went to the last hour. How many games do you get like that? Australia winning matches very quickly. They've won all five test matches in their summer inside four days. So you can see why there is this argument for four-day cricket. But you can see why it's gathering momentum. And we've had lots of responses from you, and we'll read some of them out in a moment, and we'll award Alistair Cook's book to the best three. My feeling is, we talked about this last week, but we'll develop it this week. My feeling is I prefer five-day test cricket, but I can see the arguments of four-day test cricket. I think... Virat Kohli has come out this week and said, I'm, I'm you know, a big fan of, of five-day test match cricket. And actually, you could see in the subcontinent why that would be the case, because the pitches tend to be slower and the games tend to be slower. And then they build up pace as, as the match goes on. In those fourth and fifth days, things tend to happen quicker. And the same in places like uh, Sri Lanka as well. So the problem is cricket's not uniform, is it? In some places, perhaps Australia, four-day cricket would work well. In some other places, five-day cricket works well. And one of the problems in England, of course, is the weather. So, you know, if you lose a day to weather or lose half a day to weather on one day and then half a day on, on another day, then you're a, you're a bit short towards the end of the match. I mean, the, there's no doubt the debate's going to go on, though. Mm, yeah, of course it is. I, 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 people think I'm a, a, a very much a supporter of the four-day argument. Actually, I'm, I'm wavering a bit. I'm, I've listened to a lot of arguments from the, the commentators and even players saying, you know, we must keep it at five days. And in a way, I can see why the five-day argument holds a lot of sway, because life is all so 
capsuled and constrained now and there's so many restrictions in terms of other forms of cricket and other forms of sport generally that are very compacted into a certain time frame the beautiful thing about test cricket the five-day test is that it is open-ended and a game is allowed to come to its natural conclusion generally Uh, and and I do think I suppose that that differentiates test cricket from other forms of game or indeed other forms of sport but there is also the practical argument that four-day tests fit better into a a time slot in a a week where you can then have three days off uh, or a travel period to to then go to the next match and start again on the same day of the week that the previous test match started in It, it just feels neater but then Test cricket wasn't cut out to necessarily be neat, uh, and I guess the beauty of of Test cricket is is the fact that it is it, it's almost without boundaries. I suppose we, we've got some uh, some letters and some emails from people, as you said, and this email here from Tony Selwyn sort of rather sums it up in a way, uh, and and it comes up with a with a good suggestion. He says five days for test matches in the World Test Championship, but perhaps four days for other test series which are not included, and even, he says, make space in the calendar for three-day test matches against smaller nations such as Ireland, making sure that they do bowl 98 overs in a day. Rupert Purser, listening to us in Hong Kong, he says some of the most exciting cricket has been played over five days. It's irrelevant, he says, that many games finish within four days. His his basic argument is that if you reduce it to four days, it would be just like limited overs cricket. And that's what takes away a lot of the challenge of, of test match cricket. I don't totally agree with that, actually. I I think that my argument for four-day tests, and people say, oh, you know, you won't get tremendous fifth-day finishes if obviously you you have four-day test matches. But I disagree with that. I mean, I think it would encourage a bit more urgency in batting and possibly in bowling and slightly more attacking fields. You would still get exciting fourth-day finishes. Uh, The game would just be a little bit more compressed. Actually, Trevor Willis argues this. He says the fact is the world is changing, speeding up generally, and that probably necessitates cricket changing too. He says, what I'm surprised about is my excitement at the prospect of captains, and in particular bowlers, having to adapt to the new challenge. In particular, I foresee the most successful teams in the new era being the ones that can take 20 wickets the fastest and therefore not run out of time, e.g. Australia. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that point about urgency and Australia and New Zealand, I think, showed that. Is Australia, for large parts of, say, the last Test match and in, in earlier in the series as well, rather dawdled their way through, especially in their second things not so much actually on the final day in Sydney where they suddenly really got on with it and put the pressure on New Zealand it was almost as if they wanted to win in in four days they sort of had enough of the series really they just wanted to crush New Zealand inside four days but I think they 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 could have shown more urgency for example they could have enforced the follow-on Ed Blackwell says I understand that we can't be sentimental and I get the practical arguments for the four-day test but weather as I mentioned this earlier weather could be an issue especially in the UK a whole day a lost terrain appreciate it may create exciting setups with a greater imperative on one team to push to result when on top but I fear there would be a lot of tantalizing draws and it could actually encourage negative play with underdogs hanging on for draws I think this is an interesting point actually is that over five days in a way there's no hiding place, is there, these days? The, the best team will win over five days. and it's, it's not easy to hang on for a draw. New Zealand, you know, they battled at times in this series. But the fact there were five days meant there was, you know, there was no hiding place for them. Australia were going to win. The best team came out on top. Over four days, 
even of 98 overs, they may have, you know, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think what will happen with, with if we do get four-day test cricket is that teams will adjust. Teams will play the game in a different way. I don't see it being sort of limited overs matches as such, as, as Rupert Purser uh, suggests. I, I think everyone will just adjust. The game will become a bit quicker. Captains will perhaps take a bit more of a risk with declarations. For example, Joe Root went to 438 in this test match and Australia have gone to, you know, 400 plus, well over 400 in, in the first two test matches. You would find over four days, they would, you wouldn't need to go that far. So you, you actually, what you might find is some of the more uninspiring bits of test cricket being taken out of it. But I mean, generally speaking, I think there's, there's, there is something extremely satisfying about test matches as we've seen in Cape Town, where cut and thrust over five days, and one team just you know just about strong enough to force victory on the final day. I mean, in a in a perfect world uh, where everything where people don't want everything to happen quickly, that is what the template for the future of Test match cricket. But despite what happened in Cape Town, I still see uh, pressure for the reduction of Test cricket from five to four. I think it will be resisted, and I think there will be a lot of debate about it. But I can see it, I can see that pressure only increasing because also people will you know quickly forget the Cape Town test match and they'll point to other games and say well hold on this is this was over in in four days you know and th- there is a way of playing test match cricket in four days and you know this is our template let's give it a go I can I can see that happening or perhaps uh, as an alternative to that if you have three or five test series you play most of the tests over four days and you just play the last one the decider over five days but then people are going to say well one team's winning two in already what's the point of having mm-hmm. a five-day test at the end of that series which has already been decided so you know there are lots of arguments I like Tony Draper's point here he says one thing I haven't heard much talk of concerning four-day tests is the cost I have managed to get to the oval for most tests since the 1990s and a fair few at Lords. there are many of us fans who rely on the 20 pound fifth day ticket for our live test match mm-hmm. fix every year Fifth days may not always last into the evening session, but we see results and momentous events. Yeah, Ed Blackwell actually takes that point a bit further as well in the second part of his email. He says, what about four days as standard with a reserve stroke weather day scheduled if lots of time is lost? Tickets for the fifth day could be subsidised for youth clubs, schools, etc. to get a crowd in and encourage participate." and encourage participation and bring in new fans. I think the only, I think that's a good idea, Ed. The only problem with that is the practicalities of it. There could be logistical problems with that, having a, a reserve day on the fifth day, because actually fifth days do cost a lot of money, and this is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why th- 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 there's a move towards four-day cricket. There, there are a lot of costs associated with the fifth day. Yeah, I mean, I know the MCC, for instance, it will cost them over 100000 to organise stewarding and have all the catering staff and everything on standby, knowing there is likely to be a fifth day. They have to all be booked, and there are various costs involved as a result. And I think Kevin Pickard probably sums it all up here, because... On about Saturday, he sent us an email saying, so, four-day tests, I think they should give it a go. I have reservations, and the main one is how to get the players to bowl 98 overs in a day. But, yeah, I'm willing to give it a go. But today, he's followed up his email by saying, forget my last email and forget (laughs) four-day tests. Yeah, well, you would say that if you're in Cape Town. If you were watching the game... Australia against New Zealand I think you you say well what's wrong with 
four-day test match cricket and they've all ended in in four days in Australia Uh, uh, the point is Australia are very strong at the moment as well Um, and they they will beat sides in four days and England will have a big challenge there in in a couple of years time as we've mentioned many times in recent weeks and months on this podcast despite the the glory of England's victory in Cape Town it is is a a, a small first step it's a first test win for Chris Silverwood as well as coach so uh, at last it's not easy as a new coach at last he's got a test match win under his belt yes congratulations to the man they call spoons i've never quite worked out why actually but uh, anyway well done to chris and well done to the england team and especially well done to joe root who must be feeling just a, a tiny bit relieved after all the question marks around his captaincy and general demeanor okay we said last week we'd give an alistair cook autographed autobiography to the three best emails so we've chosen trevor willis tony draper and ed blackwell so a copy of that book will be on its way to you. Ten days off now for England before the Port Elizabeth Test match. So next week, we're going to look at the whole issue of mental health in cricket, which has become a really hot topic. Thanks very much for all your emails. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.